welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Oh, praise God as we open up His Word. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, the last chapter of the Old Testament, final passage of the Old Testament, uh, which you'll find is divided into two paragraphs, two paragraphs. The first describes God's judgment on the day of Christ's return, and the second paragraph describes a, a period of opportunity a season of opportunity uh, that will exist prior to Christ's return. Reading from Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evil doer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Well, earlier this year, we, we made a sizable investment in studying the day of the Lord. Our previous sermon series, which took us through First and Second Thessalonians, uh, was actually titled, The Day of the Lord. Uh, for that reason, I am going to direct little attention today uh, to this first paragraph, verses 1 through 3. If you weren't here with us during that series, uh, just be aware that the day of the Lord, which Scripture says will come like a thief, will come out of nowhere, without warning, uh, that is when Jesus returns in the clouds, he will reser- re- remove all true believers, Christians, and then pours out his wrath of judgment uh, before he rules on a new earth. Uh, following this day of judgment, uh, those who are redeemed in Christ are the ones who are going to go skipping about uh, in the pastures uh, like newborn calves. That'll be a fun day. Uh, Christ's return is going to be a great day. Meanwhile, verses 4 through 6 describe conditions that exist before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, They describe the period we live in now, 
uh, similar to as we observed with the book of Haggai, which we just finished, Malachi's prophecy about a, a future restoration of families written over 400 years before Christ. Well, it is portrayed by Malachi as coming in the future, but today it is currently manifest during this church age. We know this because our, our scripture, scripture reading from earlier, Luke chapter 1, told us. It describes Malachi's prophecy about Elijah that we see in verse 5 uh, and says it's fulfilled through John the Baptist beginning in around the year 27 A.D. Luke writes, It is he, referring to John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, uh, i.e., that, that is a direct quote from Malachi, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the coming Elijah. Jesus himself assures in Matthew chapter 11, uh, for those who are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. It's kind of similar to Christ. Uh, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah for those who are willing to accept it. Of course, we know that not everyone is willing to accept it by faith, uh, but the New Testament assures us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And also the New Testament assures us that John the baptizer fulfills Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Likewise, if you just turn back a page in your Bible, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us this same John. He would also be used by God to prepare uh, people for the arrival, uh, the first advent, the first coming of Jesus about that same time. The Gospel of the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but of the Apostle John, speaks of John the Baptist saying, quote, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. He, speaking of John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. You can read that in John chapter 1. You know, we, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. John was not. Rather, John the Baptist was, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Therefore, the Gospel of Matthew assures this same John is also the fulfillment of Malachi 3 in verse 1. Uh, there the Lord says, I'm tying these together, uh, Malachi 4 and, and Malachi chapter 3, the Lord says, Malachi 3, 1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he, meaning John, will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, that is Jesus, 
Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For Jesus is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Again, it's not John, but it is Jesus who purifies men and women like gold and silver. Jesus is the one who, who, who like a refiner's fire, cleanses with God's Holy Spirit. John himself declared, said, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit is, is the instrument for purification in a person's life. You become purified uh, through the Holy Spirit's fire to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. So there are a couple things that we want to recognize uh, in this passage. Uh, first is that Malachi's prediction concerning Elijah, it's entirely fulfilled through the ministry of John who, who cleared the way preparing people for the first advent of Jesus. Verse 5 then of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 then is fulfilled. Some of you may have a study Bible that suggests this, this coming of Elijah in verse 5 is, is still remaining future yet today. Yeah, no, no. Um, you're probably going to want to, you decide, you're probably going to want to ignore that suggestion. Because Luke chapter 1 and verse 17 assures that Malachi's prediction of a coming Elijah has already occurred through John the Baptist. The New Testament decides how the Old Testament is applied. Secondly, secondly, this accompanying restoration, this promised restoration in verse 6 between fathers and children is found in the Messiah himself. It's not in the forerunner. The he who will restore familial or family relations is the Lord Jesus whom John the Baptist points at. This is similar to what we see in Malachi 3 and verse 3. It's not John the Baptist who purifies and cleanses so that we may present offerings and righteousness to the Lord, but rather the person whom John points us to. The Christ, the Son of the living God, who purifies us like gold and silver using his Holy Spirit to do so. Um, the only way that this, this is confusing in the text, the only way that this restoration between fathers and children is fulfilled through John the Baptist is through his ministry and his preaching, which points everybody to Christ always points to Jesus. In other words, when the final verse of the Old Testament states, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, that He who will restore is effectively pointing at Jesus Christ. That's where the restoration comes, not in 
John the Baptist. And the promised restoration, this is what we want to focus our attention on today, the last, the last promise of the Old Testament. This promised restoration that we'll want to focus our attention on is promised to occur, verse 4 tells us, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. It means before Christ returns the second time, his second coming, his second advent, before the day of the Lord, Jesus will, during this present age, restore hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Which presents us with a significant opportunity. It proposes that, that during this current church age, we, we are to anticipate that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through, through the divine forgiveness of sins, through cleansing and spiritual rebirth, renewal orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, we will, we will see and God will supply family restoration and healing. Now, who doesn't need that? This is exactly what we see throughout the book of Acts, which we'll, we'll be beginning that series next week. Frequent occurrences of a family restoration, it can be seen most prevalent when a head of the household gets saved. We've got Cornelius the centurion, Lydia, a seller of purple fabrics, uh, the Philippian jailer. You've got Crispus. He was the leader of a synagogue. Uh, it continues into Romans chapter 16. The households of Aristobulus and Narcissus, and, and even later than that, Stephanus in 1 Corinthians, and then also Onesiphorus, 1 Timothy 4.19. We will repeatedly see and observe in the New Testament that after the head of these households gets saved, trusts in Christ, their entire households also trust in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Spiritual restoration came to these families. It's in Christ. And this is exactly what the closing verses of the Old Testament promised the Messiah would do. He will restore the hearts of fathers and children. Now, a little scriptural discernment is needed before we go baptizing all our infants. All right? Just a little bit. In the New Testament, not every person's whole household was saved. In fact, we aren't even told that a majority of households were saved. Uh, rather, it was more probable that, that just as we experience today, it was somewhat unusual when entire households trusted Christ. In addition... When Malachi states the Lord will restore the hearts of fathers to their children, he in no way assures that it will be the hearts of all fathers, nor the hearts of all children. 
Jesus instead says, actually Jesus himself says to anticipate that many families will be divided over him. Father against uh, daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, uh, all these, these different assurances that there will be much strife in many families. Uh, but the New Testament does reveal that along with Jesus, there will come, this is in direct fulfillment of Malachi chapter, uh, chapter 4, a remarkable restoration of families. A remarkable restoration through the gospel. And we see this in Scripture, that this family restoration generally begins. It, it generally begins with the Father trusting Jesus for forgiveness, and, and then afterward his family witnesses the spiritual transformation in the Father, within the Father, and they follow the head of the home into the Christian faith. Folks, folks, that is simply the manifold grace of God. That, that a man will believe and his children will follow. That's the manifold grace of God. Thankfully, we see that it, it's not exclusively fathers, okay? For in the case of Lydia, her children followed their mother. Praise the Lord. On somewhat rarer occasions, uh, this was my experience, uh, a parent's faith may follow after the conversion of an adult son. My dad and mom were very skeptical uh, of my wife Rita and my, our, our faith. They were very skeptical at first because they knew who I was before. But over time, they, they did not ignore. They saw a change through Christ and spiritual renewal and restoration of our family began with praying together. Just praying over meals, something we didn't do growing up. Over time, I learned I had to be very patient with mom and dad. They were in their late 70s at this time. Uh, they finally displayed scriptural evidence, uh, compelling evidence that they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So, so, folks, what I want to emphasize is there remains hope of restoration for all of our families. Scripture doesn't suggest that there's, there's only one scenario or, or one formula through which parents and their children are restored in Christ. But it is necessary uh, for us to recognize that uh, there exists no pattern or expectation in Scripture for a small child to get saved first who then leads his or her parents to faith. It may rarely occur. It may. But we are not taught in Scripture to expect whole households to be saved through little children returning home after VBS and then whose parents follow the children into the faith, uh, follow the kids' lead to Christ. That would be so infrequent and unusual uh, that it's unseen in Scripture. You follow me? It you don't see it uh, as given as an expectation of Christians. Uh, the pattern we are provided, it's very important because we see it repeated again and again throughout the New Testament, 
is that we evangelize the head of the household first, and the household responds to the head. And it is in this way that God maintains then spiritual order and spiritual headship in the home through Christ Jesus. In fact, this same order is anticipated by Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, the Lord will restore the hearts to their, fa- to their children, hearts of fathers to their children first, and then as a result, the hearts of the children to their fathers second. God expects us to recognize that, that this headship and the spiritual order is, that is evident in verse 6 is replicated then throughout the New Testament. Folks, this contains a weighty responsibility that is carried by parents and an, an accompanying promise that you want to claim. But before I transition to that promise, I want to amplify for a moment that we are not taught in Acts to expect child conversions uh, as a way to increase parental attendance of churches. You just never see it. Rarely see it. A common misconception that has been propagated in our day about the last 50 years is that if a child gets saved at a children's event like VBS, which are wonderful events, we're going to keep doing them, don't misunderstand me, but there's a misconception that if a child gets saved at a children's event, that that eight-year-old then is, is sure to return home, wake the mom and dad early each Sunday, and the child will hop between the, behind the wheel of the family sedan and make sure that his parents get to church on time on Sunday morning. Almost never happens. Nonetheless, churches today concentrate the vast majority of their evangelistic fervor toward small children. Well, there's reasons for this. It's partially, partially uh, because we've devised programs for sharing with children that seem easier for us to master. We find the children are, are very easily influenced by a piece of candy. And we can tell the kids what they should believe, and they don't usually argue back or want a scriptural defense of it, uh, Perhaps it's because we're physically much bigger that we would prefer to confront children rather than field the objections of adult parents. But you never see the child-first approach employed in the New Testament. I say another contributing reason is we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We don't believe the Holy Spirit will convict a parent, an adult, of sin. Even though it tells us in the Holy Spirit that, or in the Scripture that the Holy Spirit is powerful, that the Holy Spirit will come with full conviction and will regenerate adults all the time throughout Scripture. It's always there, and we're like, ah! I don't, what we've done is we've turned Christianity in many regards to a social conditioning of our children. We, we just want to shape them with, here, repeat after me, uh, make sure that you understand this. This is not what Christians do. This is what Christians do. 
and we have relegated discipling as, as a social conditioning. Let's just get them to act better. When in reality, the rebirth by the Holy Spirit is a radical change. Someone putting their sin away and living their life for Jesus Christ. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. The apostles in the early church always mustered the courage and the confidence without fail to go to adults first, the head of the home, the head of the house, the decision makers for the house. And the apostles trust the Holy Spirit to overwhelm those adults with divine power and full conviction of sins at the proclamation of the gospel. We have just, we have just lost that trust today in the power of the gospel and the, pro, and the preached and the word when it is preached. And then what we see in scripture is when the parents get saved, oh, well, then they are going to get up, even the teenagers. They will wake them early. Uh, they will drive them to church on Sunday, whether they like it or not. You're going. And when small children, when small children see daddy and mommy transformed by Christ, oh, those children love Jesus. They, they like to sing songs about Jesus. They, they trust in Jesus. They, they learn early on in life to follow Jesus, who said, let the little children come to me. Forbid them not. That statement, however, is, is not by Jesus as given as a prescription for us to prioritize you know, children's ministries above adult evangelism. It is command, it's a command to already believing adults to train up your child in the way it should go. No extended context there saying, well, this is the way you do it now. In fact, in reality, we see through Acts in the New Testament that you go to the adults in order to win the families. Uh, we, we will not withhold the gospel. We will have good children's events we will ask the Lord to change their heart early on so that those children will maybe avoid some of the stuff we've done. We want that. That's part of the reason we've got to look at how God does that. Us as, as believing parents uh, training up our children. Ben and, and Kelly Prater. I asked them if they'd be here today so I could make an example out of them. I mean, use them as an illustration. Ben and Kelly believe Christ died for their sins. We see the fruit of that. Um, I must presume that God displayed a notable spiritual transformation in your lives when that happened. I have to believe that Aubrey and Macy and Blake want to do what mom and daddy do. They've seen a house that, that has been transformed through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit working through mommy and daddy. 
And daddy and mommy, they get up early, they go to Sunday school, they sing, they worship Jesus, and God's grace fills the entire house. That's how it's supposed to work. That's, that's the pattern that we are given. And therefore, successful children's ministries, we all want them, successful children's ministries come not as a result of baiting unbelievers with you know, candy, toys, and games. Rather, thriving children's ministries like Sunday school in a scriptural model are always the result of mommy and daddy leading their household rightly in Christ. With consistency, they, they bring them to Sunday school and, and church and kids club. It's a priority in the household Ah, and that's where we get to spoil them with all the candy till their teeth rot out. Yeah, we get to do it. We, we can't wait until Kids Club uh, gets up here singing again. That'll be, I'm sure, shortly. Kids Club starts again on Wednesday, and we'll have the kids singing for us. Uh, oh, it's just beautiful to see all those toothless smiles. <laughs> yeah, we're all for candy games and things that, that our children enjoy. Are you following me? Are you following the, the influence that a parent can have on the home? Healthy children's ministries come as a result of committed adult evangelism. If you win the parents to Christ, the whole household is going to be blessed by Jesus because mom and dad no longer curse the way that they did before they trusted in Christ. They don't model the ungodly habits or, or watch the bad things that they used to on the computer. Instead, they love their children and they teach them, they play with them, they raise them in a nurturing and an admonition of the Lord. The home becomes a, a safe place for those children and those children respond to the love. Uh, when, when there's parental obedience to God. God's manifold grace is magnified and it is multiplied. A safe and stable home is the final promise of the Old Testament. It's where the Lord declares concerning the coming of the Messiah. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Who here would not claim that promise for their home? A promise that is applied to us in the church today before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Who, who wouldn't want to see their children saved before Christ returns? Though evangelism is going to be one of the many topics that we stress during our series through the book of Acts, uh, it's going to be a pretty big one, be a pretty good focus. Uh, still, what would be the point of building a church to three or four hundred attendees if during that same time we lost our own children because we've forgotten the Lord's commands from, through Moses 
and we have spent our life pursuing the world. What would be the profit? If I was forced to choose between the two, I would rather win our own children to Christ and not grow numerically. Surely it would be preferable to both win our children and grow numerically. But our children are so vitally important, so crucially important. I thought before we begin our transition to the Acts of the Apostles, we better latch on to this promise that is given in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled through the John the Baptist. It's granted in Christ Jesus. And God has offered to restore the hearts of our parents to their children before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Folks, there exists no greater scriptural responsibility for a head of a house than to lead and to nurture his and her households into the Christian faith. That is the top. Folks, media, media and advertising, what have they told us we're supposed to be pursuing? Well, they, they've taught us that what our children need are more adventurous vacations. More, more square footage, for sure. Uh, nicer amenities. A faster internet connection. Season tickets. We try to give them everything, and there might not be anything wrong with some of those things. But if your desire is to truly give your children more. You better give them to Christ first. We have been told that climbing the corporate ladder, having success, is where you are required to always outperform and overdeliver. And someday they say the reward, it's going to be financial stability, significant assets, fuller garages. You're going to get a company car, a corner office, a plaque on your desk. And eventually, eventually, if you work hard and if you're patient for a couple decades, you're going to eventually have time to enjoy it with your wife and your children who are now in their mid-thirties. We learn through the book of Ecclesiastes that Scripture commends, Scripture commends a reasonable desire for financial stability. A, a godly yearning to work hard and achieve. Scripture commends these as godly and we know because of the curse. God has determined that dads will have to earn by the sweat of our brows, right? Long hours, shift work, out-of-town trips, they are expected and they are accepted. Even necessary in many occupations. In the Bible, shepherds like David... They would, they would have to stay out in the fields for days on end sometimes to make sure 
uh, the flock was taken care of well. Working by the sweat of the brow. Centurions and soldiers, they'd be dispatched for weeks on end or longer to keep society safe. These are godly occupations. But when does enough become enough? And when will you finally find time to fill in the blank? Fathers, your little children do not necessarily need the latest iPad. As badly as they need you. They need you to lead your home in Christ. Nobody else, none of us here can effectively do that for you. Jesus says in Mark 10 verse 14, Permit the little children to come to me and forbid them not. What's hindering you? What is standing in the way? Hint, folks, it's not your career. We'll always blame it on the job. It's not the job. Job's a necessary part of life. Everybody's got to earn an income. Most of us here have done shift work at one time or another. It's part of the curse. God knows. What is hindering you from raising your children in Christ? I can assure you your children want to spend time with you. You ask, well, how does he know? Pastor John doesn't have children of his own. Oh, I, I was a child. I got a pretty good idea of the relationship between a child and the parents. Your children are going to value what you value. They're going to follow daddy wherever you go. For me, dad farmed. He drove trucks and tractors. Uh, so I followed him into the fields and we, we enjoyed our experiences working together. That's valid. Your, your son working with you and sharing your life experiences. You don't always have to play games or, or always go to events. Like many of you from the earliest years, I just wanted to be like dad and do what dad does. If your dad is a pilot, pretty good chance juniors going to think about wanting to be a pilot. If you're a doctor, there's a very good chance one of your sons or daughters is going to become a physician of some kind. If you're a committed musician, most of your children are probably going to become talented with music one way uh, of one kind or another. And if you are committed to Jesus Christ, if you commit your heart and your home, if you are on fire for the gospel, and you love Christ's church, and if the language that you use at home shows interest always resonating Jesus, if you'll restore your heart to your children, and if you will love them, God says, I will restore their hearts to you 
as well. Folks, you want to ring that bell. You want to cash that check. You want to claim that prize. It's much more important than, well, anything else you're doing. And if you love Jesus with all your heart, your children are going to want to love Jesus too. But if you're materialistic, if you are worldly, if you are a drunkard, if you are unfaithful in marriage, if you are foul, if you are absent spiritually, well then, we all know how the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon ends. If you don't, you can Google it. I was going to sing a little bit of it, but then I'm like, that isn't really a spiritual song. So, But it has a lesson. Finally, there's a reference in verse 4 to Moses. God puts it there on purpose. Malachi writes, it shouldn't, shouldn't be an oversight. Malachi writes, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. Horeb's another, another name for Mount Sinai. It's where God made the old covenant uh, with Israel. And, and verse 4 functions as, as a beware statement. A beware statement. Before verses 5 and 6 function to restore families through the promise. Uh, first God says, remember, meaning don't forget... Moses, Sinai, and my commandments. Since Malachi makes such a clear reference to fathers and children, we can probably isolate this warning to a similar reference of fathers and children in Exodus chapter 20 as God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The Lord says through Malachi, remember, and many of us forget that there are portions of the Ten Commandments that uh, we aren't usually required to memorize. We kind of break them up. Uh, but the Lord begins in Exodus 20 by saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, get this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, Showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What an opportunity. The closing passage of the Old Testament suggests that when the Messiah comes, fathers, Jesus is going to put the ball in your court. 
going to be in your hands. You're, you're going to have the opportunity to play on your own home field. He gives it to you. And through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, which God gives you, dads, along with moms in some circumstances, are going to begin to recognize through, through learning from Scripture, begin to recognize their children are their most important asset and their, most, uh, their greatest asset and investment in life. And once you become willing to, to take that ball and run with it, God declares that in my son Jesus, I am prepared to bless your families now, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He opens a window of restoration with your children before that fire of judgment comes. And that window of opportunity is complete devotion to Christ for the love of your children. If there's no other motivator for the love of your children, But God leaves the Christian with a weighty responsibility. You know, especially if your children are still small, they're going to want to spend time with you. They're going to want to look like you. They're going to value what you value, and they're going to follow you wherever you go. And God suggests that when you see their, their little feet behind yours, remember what Christ has done for you. And he is willing to do it for them as well. Claim that promise. Well, if you have been searching for a reason, for, for a, mo uh, a reason to motivate for living a life that is pure, a, a, a life that is holy, one that is moral, that with honesty and and decency and integrity, a life that loves, a life that honors and serves Jesus to the utmost. If you are looking for a motivation to behave throughout your life, we talked about this this morning in adult Bible class, if you're looking for a motivation to, to behave throughout your life as well as you do in church, you need look no further than the children who are sitting next to you right now. For when they grow up, the scripture is promised, they're going to look a lot like you.